0: Alright, here we go. Episode 4, Highline Hunter Podcast. Today, joined again with my good friend Adam. For those of you who listened to episode 3, where we discussed antelope techniques and tactics, uh, he, was the, he was the guest on for that episode. So, it's pretty easy to get Adam to come over here and do a podcast with me, seeing as he only lives about 25 yards away. So, that makes things easier. But, uh, yeah, Adam... You know, he's got a lot of hunting experience, a lot of bow hunting experience, and I think he has a lot of information that can help you guys become more successful on whatever it might be, if it's going to be antelope, elk, deer hunting, bear hunting, he's the guy. So, welcome back, Adam. Thanks for being here. Hello. Uh, So, you and myself actually just tagged out for antelope, archery antelope. Give me, a, give me a little recap on your, your hunt.
1: I think we found the only water hole in the uh, county to hunt this year, thanks to Brendan, who was also on the last one. Yeah. Um, Brendan didn't have a tag this year, so he was nice enough to let me hunt it. I had cameras on it, set a blind up, and then after I tagged out, there was still antelope coming in, so Chris took advantage too. Um, mine, I had antelope right away in the morning at like 7:30. Um, had a group come in behind the blind that I couldn't shoot. And then had a lone buck. and then over the next couple hours had a couple of lone does come in and then had another buck come in with two does again behind the blind. and I actually was able to get the back window open and he was drinking at 53 yards. The water will kind of makes a horseshoe. it's kind of weird, so it puts that back part of the pond behind you. And I was able to get the window open and shot him at 43 yards, or 53 yards. And he made—he jumped in the water, so he only made two big bounds and then got out and then went 20 yards and uh, tipped over.
0: Yeah, he, that was a hard, sh- hard yeah. shot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't go far.
1: It was funny because the night before that, I was out practicing from my knees at 53. I told you I was going to shoot one at 53 yards. I thought it would be over where you ended up killing yours.
0: Well, because you had your camera set up at 54 yards Mm -hmm. directly across. The one was set up at 53 or 54, and the other one was, I think, a little bit closer at 30. Yeah, 43 or something. Okay.
1: But, yeah, Yeah. I didn't know anything was happening behind the line because I didn't have a camera there. But it ended up at 53 nonetheless, and then yours was over by one of my cameras.
0: Yeah, mine. Mine was between. I hunted the same waterhole out of the same blind. Mine was between the two cameras you had set up, and it was also a fifty-three or fifty-four yard shot. It was pretty much the furthest, as far as them coming down to the water. Both of our bucks were the furthest away from the blind that we could, that we took a shot at. But, I you know I think I went on six or seven different stalks, trying to spot and stalk these antelope, but they didn't offer any real terrain advantages for me I, it, it was they were always in the middle of a cropped harvested field you know there's so many agricultural fields out here that it's not kind you know central montana where there's less ag field and more like bureau of land management and bureau of reclamation it's a little easier to use terrain to your advantage because you have bushes, you have hills, you have, you know, a little bit of trees. But out here, you've got cut wheat field and cut lentils and cut peas. And even if they're not cut, they're only, you know, their crop's only going to be two feet high. So most of the stuff I hunted was already harvested. And closest I got was 63, 64 yards. And that was them in... They were in a pea field that was already harvested, and uh, they, they were bedded down. I saw horns from 120 yards all the way up until about 63, 64, and I went to go clip my release in, and as it touched the string, they bolted so fast. I, I mean, they were bedded up. All I could see were antlers, and they took off. And after that, I was just kind of like, you know, I was talking about last episode using these decoys, and maybe using a doe or a buck decoy to bring them in close for enough enough close enough for a shot. But it's too early in the season, like we talked about. You know, we offered all those tips and tactics, and I went straight to decoying way too early. But that was your first day out when you sat in the blind and shot it yeah but i didn't I didn't know that you uh had passed over a few bucks two one buck you passed over at least. I didn't
1: pass him up. He came in and he was drinking straight on the whole time and I actually drew on him twice. he drank for quite a while and then when he left he just he wheeled and walked up the hill and then was over sixty before he stopped and I settled on him one time and they started walking again, and I just let down i my goal this year is aim longer and not make a marginal shot so and the one I shot gave me plenty of time to really settle and make a perfect shot on. That's what I wanted.
0: Are you going to put a video up on YouTube? I did not get the kill shot on that one because he's behind. Hey, I've got videos on YouTube (laughs) that don't have the kill shots, and they do just fine. I did get
1: them going down. That was about it. And some other bonus footage before that, but no, I doubt I'll do anything with it.
0: Yeah, that could be tough to make a film out of, I suppose. But I've got mine on YouTube. I just put it up, I think, yesterday or the day before. And I've got the kill shot, so you can pretty. We pretty much shot the exact. We shot at the exact same distance, out of the same blind, out of the same water hole. I could just give you my same time. Yeah, ten thirty. Ten thirty. I can give you my kill shot, and you can like reverse image it, flip it the other way. But and our our bucks are probably pretty close in size. Yes. Yeah, mine's not
1: very long. He's fairly heavy. Yeah, he's stout. He's thick. And yours is yours is longer than mine. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Decent bucks with a bow
0: yeah yeah no it, it was fun it, i've i like the spot and stalk that was my second or third time ever hunting out of a blind and it just takes a lot you have to have patience mm-hmm. and i'm lucky that it was nice and cool because yeah. when it's 90 degrees like it was today and it's 85 80 degrees at 7 in the morning yeah. it makes for a long day of sitting in that blind
1: yeah it was probably low 70s when you shot yours yeah it stayed cooler longer that morning the morning I shot mine I think it was up to 80, 82 or 86 by the time I shot mine it mm-hmm. was getting hot yeah this weekend elk and deer open I, Saturday yeah I don't know that I'll be doing a whole lot the other Adam that'll probably be on here at some point he gets back from a little vacation and uh, it's about decoy time now. I might spend some time with him out trying to decoy antelope. Because it's going to be... I think Saturday's calling for 96 degrees.
0: Yeah, it's going to be I have be no ridiculous. interest in
1: shooting an elk when it's 96 degrees. No, that's and a lot
0: probably. of... It. It, you know, you, you want to get out there yep. because it is opening weekend. That's the other thing, too. It's like, it's opening weekend. Everyone's going to be out. Yep. But given the fact that it is going to be 96, 97 degrees... Uh, everyone else is probably thinking the same thing, which will push them to the following weekend when it's supposed to be slightly cooler. Yeah, we're supposed to get a cold, cooler coming uh, in the next week. I I do want to get out there. I think the early season for antelope helps kind of kick some of those jitters and the not, not necessarily less excitement, but you know, the night before I went and hunted that blind, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited to go out there because I. It's just the cameras that you had set up. It was antelope all day. Yep. So you kind of just think there's definitely going to be something that shows up. That's what makes
1: sitting for all those hours possible. Like, if I didn't have cameras out, I don't know. Because even going out there to check the blind or check the cameras and stuff, you don't see a ton of antelope. But then you check the cameras, and there's so many antelope coming from long distance. Yeah. It kind of gives you that patience to be able to sit there.
0: Yeah, I got out there at 445... And the first light, shooting light was 6.08. And I didn't, I saw a couple nice, one white, white-tailed buck that was really nice came in around seven. does came in around eight. And then there was nothing until 10.30 when the two antelope does and that buck came in. And I grabbed my binos super quick and I gave him a glance and I was like, nah, eh, he's above his ears. <laughs> like he looked good enough, you know, I didn't care. He that was it was a lot of fun but I'll tell you what I I went full draw when he started to drink his water and he drank for a minute straight I timed it on the on the the camera cuz I was I got the the whole thing on film and you can hear me pull back and it's a minute of him drinking and finally went broadside I actually thought that I missed cuz it looked like the arrow went high right and it looked like he jumped the string which he definitely jumped before he made the arrow made contact, but it put it right behind that last rib and came out quartering away out of the f- his front left shoulder. Didn't hit any bone, went right through that vital V where that shoulder plate meets the, that joint makes kind of like a V it Was all meat, super clean exit. But yeah, that's, I mean, perfect shot. No, no gut shot, no broken bones straight through double lung. He was dead within a hundred yards. Yeah, that was a a lot of fun. But that's a lot of waiting for a short amount of time. It was four and a half minutes from the time that I seen him come in to the time that I shot him. So I sat for six hours for four and a half minutes of action. It was worth it. Mm -hmm. But you got to just kind of develop that patience for it.
1: That spot's tough, too. You're sitting down in a hole, so it's not like you can glass around and look for anything. Oh, yeah. Almost on top of you.
0: You have 50 yards in every direction, and Mm -hmm. that's all you're going to see. Right. I do not plan on sitting in a blind for deer or elk. elk. I've never had much luck with that. The uh and that's I wanna talk about spot and stock mule deer. We can do uh elk next next week maybe. I think uh you know, the the rut will be like the third week in September. So we could probably talk about that next week when everyone's getting more excited for elk. But um Yeah, so As I've mentioned before, out here it's all prairie, rolling hills, some small reservoirs, lakes, and stuff like that. There's not a lot of trees. There's not a lot of brush. There's not a lot to hide behind, really. So this is kind of an area where if you can master spot and stalk out here, you can spot and stalk anywhere in the state. Not so much the forest. That's a whole different game. Spot it and stalk in, like, the national forests or dense timber. That's going to be more of, like, what do they call it? Um, still hunting. Still hunting, yeah. Take a couple steps, look around. Take a couple more steps, look around. And that, I don't think I would have the patience for that either.
1: No. That's kind of what I grew
0: up doing. In Pennsylvania? Yep. Yeah. So I, I really like this environment for spot and stalk because it really tests... It tests you. It is not easy. Um, Last year, I got eight yards from a whitetail buck. I think it was one of the first days that I... I don't know. I had gone out a few days. I knew there was some whitetail in the area. And I spot this whitetail buck first thing in the morning. And this is down in like a marshy kind of area. More like it holds water, but it's that alkaline water. And... Maybe on a, like a decent rain year, it carries water into that reservoir. Um, last year, we kind of had a drought as well. This year is even worse, so there's probably no water in there. But he, he was in the, those cattails, which is the kind of stuff that they like. They like that grassy, marshy cattail environment, whitetails. Mule deer, they're in there, but not as much as the whitetail. And I've seen him. He was a good buck. He bedded down within the first couple minutes of shooting light, and I snuck in. I had a little bit of the wind in my face. Snuck into eight yards and just waited. I think it took him 45 minutes to stand up. Had no idea it was there. When he stood up, I drew back my bow and he was facing away from me. And he just started grazing right there. And so I was at draw for, I don't know, 30 seconds maybe. And he turned around at about a 180 and he was quartering two and I let a shot go. And I I should have waited for a better angle, but I'm thinking eight yards, just put the pin right there on that front shoulder, let go, you know, let loose. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it hit the the cattails that were there, but that arrow did not go where I wanted it to. And it ended up, it looked like it did hit him. The arrow hit him. But I think it skipped across the back and got stuck underneath uh, his uh, his hind quarter. The arrow was literally sticking. Adam's trying to kill bees. It's a bad yellow yeah, jackets bees. are out of control. I got him. That arrow was sticking straight out of the top of his rump. So I think it just went right underneath that hide and popped up along the backside. And you know, I, I found no blood. I found two little specks of blood. There was a little bit of blood on the arrow. And I I couldn't... I looked for four or five hours that day to try to find a blood trail. Nothing. And I went out, I think, the following... Did you come help me try to spot?
1: No, I was going to.
0: Yeah, I think I went out the next day for a few hours and I called it when I... there There was no finding them. So, just because you're eight yards away, it's not a guarantee. I mean... I've made that mistake a few times where you think the hunt is done before you've even taken the shot. I'm sitting there thinking eight yards. I'm done. I'm going to shoot this buck. It's going to be cooking backstrap or tenderloins tonight on the grill. And no, I screwed it up. But that's bow hunting. Mm -hmm. So um, two years ago, I had that success with uh, the big buck, that big muley. spot and stalk that one as well. So I've had a lot of success getting close to animals. I've had a couple successful takes with the bow, with bucks. I've shot quite a few uh, does, but I've shot two. I've killed two bucks with my bow, which isn't saying much. How many have you, I mean, you've taken- I'm not sure. A lot, more I've, than two. Yeah, a few. Yeah. Oops. You probably can't even count how many does you've taken. Yeah. So, you know, I can offer advice for getting close to animals. It's up mm. to you to... <laughs> and up to me to make that last... Like I said, you have to be 100%. You could be 99% on everything. And mm. if you don't get that last 1%, which is that arrow making lethal contact, you don't get to take an animal home.
1: Yep.
0: So... uh I think, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about spot and stock for you, kind of give me a rundown of how you like to hunt deer out here in the prairie, whether it's whitetail or mule deer, or if it's all the same.
1: The paper flat stuff landscape is really hard. And I, I found deer in that and they'll hide in the smallest little cracks, but I like to get into more of some of the breaky stuff and foothills, things like that. Um. Last year, found a really good deer. The other Adam was with me, and um, he was already bedded when we found him. We were up on a glass and knob at first light, saw a lot of deer, and then went and found this buck. Big kicker, great deer. And uh, Adam stayed and videoed from across this canyon. And I made this huge loop all the way around him, and uh, it was, there was no wind we had tried to wait for the wind to pick up a little bit because normally we have wind here but mm-hmm. i ended up in my in my socks getting down to like 40 yards and i sat above that deer he was so these deer will dig out these mule deer beds and over the years like they just get deeper and deeper yeah and it's like a bathtub and like the bank is higher than what into they are
0: the side of yeah, the into the side hill. of the hill yeah
1: and that thing all i could see was the top of his antlers and i was there i think an hour. Just sitting above him, waiting for him. And he actually stood up once, probably to go to the bathroom. And it was such a deep bed that I still, I had no shot. I could just see the top of his back. And I uh, was there an hour. And looking back now, I don't know what we could have done. I actually did throw two little stones. He didn't even move. But I don't know. Adam said about the other day, maybe if he'd have stood up. Because he was videoing from Oh yeah. 300 yards across. And the buck might have stood. He might have just right out of his bed and gone too. It's,
0: who knows. Well, mule happened. deer will give you that opportunity.
1: Sometimes. The big old ones, though, I don't know. I've seen them yeah. jump up and wheel and take off, too.
0: I know whitetail are like, peace. As yeah. soon as they're yep. alerted, they're gone, and yep. they'll run a mile away, then look. Yeah. I've had most of my experience, though, with mule deer. For the majority of the time, it's stand up, look at you broadside to look to see what you yeah. are, or listen, because yep. that's what they like to do, is listen with those big ears. Yep. And then they bounce off, turn they'll, they'll again. They'll give you a
1: chance unless they smell you, and that's what happened yeah. here. The wind the was wind. perfect the whole time for like an hour, and then I felt it switch, and I know better. When it switched, I should have went the full draw because there's going to be a split second, and I didn't. And I watched his butt come up, and I should have drawn then too because they will lift their butt first, and then they'll stand. Their butt always comes up. Yeah. Their head will bob, and I should have drawn, and I didn't. I didn't draw until he stood, and I drew then, and I was just settling. He gave me... Three, four seconds, which would have been enough had I drawn before he got up. But just as I settled in, he bolted, and he was gone. But that was a stud deer. I never found him again. I did find a a gut pile uh, in rifle season, which makes me wonder. Maybe. I don't know. That's a spot. If I were to go out this weekend, probably where I would go. But, man, it's...
0: What time of day did you find him? So
1: I don't know if we saw him at daylight or not. We saw a lot of other bucks. But it was probably 10 o'clock when we found him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this coming Saturday, it's going to be in the 80s already by then. And it's about three miles to get to that spot, which is fine. But if I'm by myself... It's a haul. It's a haul and it's heavy.
0: Yeah. So, you mentioned that he's in that little buck bed. hmm So, for those of you who may not, might not have the experience hunting mule deer out, out west or... Maybe you're, you're newer into hunting. So these buck beds that they make, when, they, when they're when they finished getting water and feed in the morning, they try to bed up and they get into the shade. Those buck beds that they make give them that shade. They dig them into the side of these little hills, and they're usually going to be on the shade side. Yeah. Whatever side's going to be shaded throughout the majority of the day is where they're going to be. So that's how you're going to find the buck. The first thing that you need to do is get out there before daylight. If you want to find the bigger ones, you need to be out there before daylight. If this spot that you're saying is three miles in, mm-hmm. you need to be at least two miles in by shooting light. Yeah. To, I like, to get on a high yeah. point in glass.
1: I like to be seated, and if it's chilly, and, you know, I throw my puffy coat on, and I'm settled in with my spotting scope ready to go. Yeah. At f- very first light, because some of those deer, they'll tuck away. Like that white tail you said, they'll bed within the first 20, 30 minutes the, of light.
0: I've definitely noticed the bigger ones for sure, be- with, mm. with the exception of in the rut. Yeah. Bow season, though, when it's real hot, those big butts, big butts, those big bucks are, they're bedded up early. Um, that big one I shot, the big muley, he was, I saw him at first light. It wasn't even legal shooting light. I glassed once I had had probably walked in not even a couple hundred yards there was just enough daylight where, looking through the binoculars, you could kind of see shadows, and I see him crested on a, on a hill. So I had a back a lighted backdrop, and I knew he was a big buck right away. So I was like, "All right, I'm going that way." But he was bedded up within 10 or 15 minutes of me seeing him, hmm. and it wasn't even legal shooting light yet. So he uh, and he was in full velvet. Like so, he would have measured probably 195 in velvet with all that extra mass. But he, uh, a lot of the bucks that I've seen in that spot, they've, they bedded up within the first half hour of shooting light. Yep. Pretty much by sunrise, whatever the legal sunrise time is. Yeah. If it's 638, they're bedded up by 638. Yep. So you have a half an hour to make a play with them on their feet in the morning, maybe an hour, or at least see where they bet up. Mm-hmm. Once they bet up, that's when you put together your game plan. Yeah. You know that for the most part, unless they catch your wind, unless they see you or hear you, they're going to be in that bed for a, a while. Mm. I've noticed that mule deer will, once they've bedded up for the morning, they'll be there for one to two hours. Yep. Then they'll get up, they'll either graze in that area for okay. just a little bit and bed back down, or they'll move to a more shaded spot. Because yeah. they're going to move with that sunlight. Yep.
1: You listen to some of the high country guys talk, and they won't stalk a deer until after they hit that second bed. Because they'll have that initial bed, and then the sun moves for a couple hours, and then yeah. they'll go to where they're going to be the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. They'll sit and watch them until they get that secondary bed.
0: If you've got hills like we have out here, that's once the sun reaches noon or just right around mid-afternoon, there's a certain side of that drainage or that hill that's not going to get sun anymore. So they're going to be in there. But the trick is to get there to watch them bed up first. Because yeah. if you're there too late, or say you get out there and you don't see any deer and you keep walking, you're just going to start bumping deer at that yeah. point. If you're trying to find deer because you haven't seen any yet, and it's been one to two hours past shooting time, you're just going to bump deer. Mm-hmm. And that gets frustrating because it's like, with a gun, it's one thing. You can just pull your rifle up and wait for a shot. Yeah. With a bow, you know, you spooked a deer at 30, 40 yards, they're gone. You're not going to have another shot, most likely, that day. Yeah. Maybe that evening, but not not right then and there. So,
1: Bachelor groups are really tough, too. Early season, when they're still all wadded up. Like, I've, you know, 15, 20 bucks. Last year, I took my son with me. We went out, and there were, I can't remember. There were 20-some bucks together. And I told him, we're just going to sit and watch things today. Because once they all bed... Mm -hmm. And they're, they face every direction. They got everything covered. It's so hard to stalk them like that. The I big did,
0: bucks are in the middle. Yes, and, and the got little, little bucks or, all yeah. around. Little satellite <laughs> bucks everywhere. They yeah. know what they're doing. <laughs> yes,
1: um, I did kill a buck in some river breaks a couple years ago. That there were, I remember, there were nineteen bucks together, and it was in this breaky river country. And there was like a finger that went out, and they all bedded around it. And I remember trying to sneak out on that point. We watched them come off ag fields. They all went in there. They didn't come out. Snuck in there. And they were literally bedded, like, 270 degrees around me. And the wind hit one of them, and everything blew out. And I watched the buck that I wanted. I watched him and, like, three or four other bucks go, like, a mile. And we let them go for an hour, and then we made that trek trek all the way across there. Relocated them somehow. And uh, it kind of worked out to where we, like, broke up the herd. And I was able to get around above this buck, and there was zero wind that day. Mm. Again, a rarity. But... Buddy Nick, he stayed back a couple hundred yards, kept eyes on the buck, and I went around and got on the back side of this like razorback ridge. Got to it, took my boots off, and it took me over an hour to make it like thirty yards. Because it was just so calm, so dry. And I was on this like river stone mm-hmm. on this peak. Yeah. That every time you'd step it would like squeak. So these grasshoppers we have out here that like they'll fly up, you know, and they'll uh make that almost like a rattlesnake sound, or they'll click. Yeah. And, like, when one does it, a couple of them will do it. Well, I would wait, and a couple of those would jump up, and they'd all start clacking at the same time. And I would take a step, a mm-hmm. slow step. And then they would land, and I'd stand there. And then they would do it again, and I'd take a step. In an hour, it took me to go 20, 30 yards. Yeah. And I finally got, like, 23 yards above this buck and just waited. And I could see him. And finally, my wind drifted up just enough that, like, a forkhorn stood up. And when he stood up, he was looking up at me. And just like a progression, these other bucks started standing up. And then mine stood up. I went the full draw, but he had one sage bush that was blocking his vitals, and I remember just holding, and I was like, I can't go through that bush, so I held it, and then he did like a 180 in his bed, turned around, and then he took a step, and then I just, I made a perfect shot. He bounded like 40 yards, tried to go up the hill, and then did a backflip, and that was it. Awesome, tight, real tall, heavy buck. One of my, probably, eh, close to my best buck probably with the bow. Patience. Yes. Breaking up that herd definitely helped that day. If yeah. you if you can relocate them,
0: yeah, the those bigger groups when they're with the other bucks or even with the does, there's a there's a point where the bucks, the bigger ones, will separate from their bachelor herd, and they'll just go by themselves until they're ready to rut. Yep. So that tends to be late September, probably. Yeah, probably late September, early October is when I start seeing the bigger ones start to become solos. Um, The last few years, the, the bucks that I've chased with my bow up until about... They're with other bucks, smaller ones usually, until about that second or third week in September. Then they're solo. And then they won't pick up does until maybe late October, mid to late October, and then they're running by early November. So you have a window to get them when they're alone. That's your ideal situation. The less eyes, the less ears that you have out there, the better. Yeah. So let's just say you, so you get out there, you spot a buck or you spot a herd of deer and you watch him bed down. The first thing you need to do is check the wind. What is the wind doing? Pay attention to your thermals. Okay. Is the wind going uphill, downhill with the temperature change? Where are you in correlation to those deer once they're bedded down? So depending on the terrain that you have, whether it just be... If you're in a flat with sagebrush, you're going to be on your hands and knees. Mm. So you're using those bushes to your advantage. If you're in the break country or down towards the rivers, you have lots of hills. And they're going to be bedded up on the sides of those hills in the shade. So you need to play the hills. If you can't see them, they can't see you. That's what I always say. Of course, sometimes you look to your left and there's a group of does just staring at you. But yeah. those are the ones you don't see. If you are if you know where the deer are at and you can't see them, they can't see you. Doesn't mean you can't be loud. Or you can be. Doesn't mean you can be loud because they're going to hear you, especially mule deer. Just like we said, antelope with their eyesight, that's mule deer, that's their ears. Yep. Second is their nose. Whitetail is their nose first. And... The mule deer, as soon as they start hearing twigs cracking and brush moving, they're up, looking around, at least perked up while they're laying in bed. Mm. Once they see movement, then they stand up. So make sure that you have a good idea of where they're at. Study the terrain before you make a move. Make two, at least two different plans. Because you could go down the next drainage and the wind could shift. And then you got to change your whole deal. Um, Or maybe you think that the terrain is just going to gradually go downhill and you can just come up the next break and then you get down there and it's a 40-foot drop straight down, just a rock slide or a dirt slide. So study the terrain first. If you have the luxury of having service wherever you're at, grab your Onyx maps and look at the terrain, the topography map, and just look for certain terrain features that might help you, whether it's foliage or uh, washouts. Those are good, too, to use and stay low. But you find those deer, get a terrain, get the terrain studied and figured out and make a, a play there. Once you want to close the distance on these animals, though, my number one tip. Next, well, I guess patience is number one. It's like you just said. It took you an hour to go 30 yards. Mm. Take your shoes off. Yep. If, you, if you're not in cactus-infested, you know, ground, take your shoes off. Wear thick socks. Yep. Or carry, carry an pair extra of pair socks. of socks with you. Yep. Uh, I've seen some guys carry sneakers. I've seen some guys carry the inserts to boots and slip those on. Mm. Drop your pack. If, if you're within 100 yards, let's say, maybe two. Mark where your pack is, go light, and take the shoes off. Um, I've had such a high rate of success getting close to animals with no boots on compared to with boots on. Yeah. The biggest buck that I shot was with no boots on. The first elk that I shot was with no boots on. That buck that I got up to eight yards last year, no boots on. Every other time, you know, 40, 50 yards I can get, you know, if the wind, if there's wind... Because that's gonna help with your noise too. If there's no wind, I was astounded at the difference. It, walking on you know grass and twigs and leaves barefoot or so- with socks compared to boots. Yep, yeah, boots are just loud. It's a game changer. Yep. And it took me years to figure that out. But once I did, I've gotten so close to animals. It's it's like I have to take them off now. I'm not going to close the distance on an animal without yep. them. I got that, you know, when I was hunting the antelope last week in that field where I got to 63 yards, I think I dropped my boots at 200 because there was no wind. Yeah. And for those of you that have hunted pea fields, the stems that they leave behind, those hollow tubes that they leave after they've harvested, are the loudest twigs I've ever seen yeah. or heard. So I took them off 200, and I, it took me, I don't know, half an hour I wasn't going too slow because I didn't have to. They were behind the hill, but um, once I got to 100, then it was like a step at a time. Step, you know, first step, second step. The grasshoppers were there too, and I tried using that, but with zero wind, I mean, it's it's tough. I almost prefer just a little bit of wind. Yeah, and it sure. is almost constant out here. Mm-hmm. Just a just a breeze. We get a lot of heavy wind too, which. You can get close to deer, but good luck making the shot <laughs> right. when you have a thirty mile an hour crosswind. Yeah. So I you know, I can use the wind to my favor. Those intense days of wind, you can get you know, super close. You shot a buck in a on a really windy day.
1: Yeah. We drove up to a knob where we normally park and then hike in and it was sleeting. And the wind was howling. I mean, it was 40 mile an hour. And uh, we're just sitting there at the truck, kind of not wanting to waste the day. It was in, in the afternoon. And I had the spotting scopes out on the windows and glassed this buck up in this little aspen patch. Watched him go in he didn't come out. And I was like, well, I'm going to go. And it was a huge climb. And uh, I went up, got into that aspen patch and was going through and had a... Big three-by-three walk just on the outside of the aspen patch at like 30 yards. I let him walk by me. I kept going. I got all the way in. And uh, I came around a little tree. And ended up naming this buck Sweet Lord because that's literally what came out of my mouth. He was bedded there facing away. For some reason, facing into the wind, which they never do. Mm -hmm. They always put the wind at their back and watch their downwind. He was facing into the wind. And 13 yards... I took a knee and got ready, knocked an arrow, sat there and I didn't sit there very long and for whatever reason he stood up and he was quartered away and I put it behind the last rib and it was the last time I ever shot a deer with a mechanical broadhead. I let it go, I saw a flash of white, he took off and uh, didn't know what happened and it was pretty soon gonna be dark. So I went out, didn't find my arrow, didn't find him, didn't find blood. Hiked back down to the truck, told my buddy what happened, and I have to tell the whole story because he'll give me crap if I don't. Um, The next day, I went in, looked for a couple hours. I'm up top. Well, we both started up top where he went into the timber. I said, I didn't like that flash of white. To me, that it looked like fat or something, like the hide opened up. Have I showed you this picture? No. I'll show it to you. So we went to the timber around where... I thought he went, and it's real thick timber. Search for a couple hours. Well, we had service. He texts me, and he's down at the bottom where this dry creek bed is, or it might have been a little water, either way. He finds a speck. I'm talking like the size of this hornet's head. A speck of blood on a rock. So he texts me, I was like, all right, so I go down there. We follow this couple specks, like every hundred yards you find a speck. He's following the creek bed down, and he goes three, four hundred yards, and then it splits. And, uh, we found one pool of blood where he had, like, laid in, like, in a rock. Mm-hmm. It was, like, diluted from, because the sleet kind of diluted everything. And there was a pool of blood in, like, a bowl-shaped rock. Well, then it splits, and the creek bed goes two different directions. So he went one way, I went the other. I go down the creek bed. I'm not finding anything. And I go, like, 200 yards. And I just, I come up out of the creek bed just to kind of look back to see where he's at. And, um around where I think he should be on that creek bed, where Nick should be, I see the buck bedded, still alive. And I'm like, oh man. And now we don't have service there. And at that exact moment, I see Nick like right below the deer coming up. And uh, he comes up and pauses right before he hits the crest of this little hill. And then, you know, does like the peak over the top. peeks over, sees the deer. Ducks down. Knocks an arrow. And uh, the buck was just laying there. Head up, but not in good shape. Nick shoots a deer. The thing gets up, goes 20 yards, tips over. We spent probably an hour debating who's tagging this deer. (laughs) And legality... I'll tell you what the law says. Yes. First (laughs) first blood and all that. We went back and forth, back and forth. And um, he finished it off. But that deer, where where it laid... There was a bathtub-sized pool of blood. I mean, that deer, I don't know how it was still alive, wouldn't have lived. But what that broadhead had done, instead of going in behind the last rib, it hit that last rib. Traveled. It traveled outside of the rib cage, yeah. just like a gut hook. I mean, rode that rib cage. It was a deep cut all along the ribs, all the way up to the base of the neck, and then up the neck. Like, that cut is 24 inches long, and just flayed that deer open. And... um nasty like I have a picture I'll show you
0: that's the biggest complaint about um mechanicals and at that
1: that's the last time I shot mechanicals there's better ones now there's severs that well Nick shoots them. he saw the outcome of that particular mechanical deflecting and I know severs are a lot better than what I was shooting then but um I like a cut on contact now because I feel that it would have punched in like I wanted it to rather than glancing but that was an awesome deer and that was Very high wind, very sleety, very nasty, but a lot easier than hunting them when it's dead calm outside.
0: I've only used one set of mechanicals, and I never shot anything with them, but I got rid of them because just walking, just when I do my spot and stalk, when I stalk these animals and I'm crawling on the ground, I couldn't tell you how many of those... Broadheads just opened up yep. because those little plastic rings broke off.
1: Yeah, or the rubber bands, yeah. or whatever they got. However, on.
0: they're being held together, yeah. and Constantly that was the most it. frustrating thing. I actually had a deer that I drew back on, and when I, lo- I f- something sounded weird with my arrow, and I gave a quick glance up front, one of the blades was hanging off of the mechanical, mm-hmm. and I decided not to take the shot because I don't. What's the trajectory <coughs> going to be now yeah. that it's all? I don't know, so I I just stick with fixed blade. I love the Muzzies, the, um, not the Muzzies, I'm sorry, the Magnus Stingers, mm-hmm. buzz cuts. I used to shoot Muzzies. Their metal that they use for their, their broadheads are a little cheap for me. They're not reusable. Mm-hmm. You have to replace the blades every time you use them. These Magnus Stingers have held true. I shoot them for practice, nonstop. I can sharpen them up again, and they're good to go. As long as I'm not hitting rocks or... Tables or trees or whatever we're shooting at. Um, if it's just hitting targets, they sharpen up great. Yeah. That antelope that I just shot was with the Magnus Stinger buzz cut, which is the serrated instead of the straight blade. Um, and it it shredded those lungs. Yeah. There was nothing left of those lungs.
1: Those Magnus Stingers have been around forever. They've changed owners. Yeah. They were the Phantoms for a while. Before that, forever, they were the Bear Broadheads. And My dad shot those for 40 years, I don't know, forever, and killed tons of deer with those things with a little bleeder blade in the middle yeah he would sharpen his to where you know he'd use a leather strap on at the end and they'd shave hair off yeah yeah that's what i shot most of my deer in pennsylvania for quite a while with was those
0: yeah yeah they're i, I like them they yeah. hold strong yeah. you know
1: when i switched from mechanicals i went to the g5 strikers i liked them a lot i think i've got those here same thing the they're, they're not spot. reusable for the most part those blades are bent broken the ferals still bend a little bit tips definitely bend um, last year I switched to day six. I'm shooting them again this year. I shot my antelope with it. I like them. They're definitely a lot tougher. Like, I can 100% use, reuse that broadhead that I shot the antelope with. Yeah. I mean, it went through that antelope and sunk in the soft mud. But,
0: yeah. my My arrow broke in half on that antelope. You and I went out and looked for it. It's yeah. gone. I have no idea where that thing broke off. Yeah.
1: But... Antelope was so quick. I think that thing was probably... Still passing through, maybe, and he threw his arms back to go. Yeah. And it just, he sheared off with his elbow.
0: Possible. Because he didn't, he he did not tumble before. I I found the back half of the arrow. He had not tumbled yet when he passed that spot. So, Mm -hmm. it's over there somewhere, but there's so much grass near that reservoir. Yeah. I can't find it. So... You know, using the weather to your advantage, the wind. Yes, with those high winds, you can get close, but the high winds are also going to affect your shot with your your broadhead. So, just be prepared to get closer. I I am not comfortable shooting further than thirty yards in high wind. I've shot my arrows at an antelope in about it has to be I don't know twenty five thirty mile an hour crosswind is what I had, and he was forty yards away, and I watched my arrow sail off into the sky hard with the w I I mean, it didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Um, I did that
1: last year on an elk. This isn't an elk podcast, but <laughs> buddies, cow Cal called this bull on a string, 41 yards, and the wind was blowing across wind, probably 40 mile an hour. Oh, yeah. Shot right in front of his chest.
0: And he's not, he's not being sarcastic or exaggerating when he says 40 miles an hour because the wind that we get out here mm. is that. I, every year we
1: hit 90, 90, mile an hour a couple times a year and like, 60 is common
0: here. Yeah, we'll see 60 every... Know, couple, a th- couple times a month, probably. Yeah. I could say easily. So, I don't know. Use the wind to your advantage. Make sure it's in your face. Make sure you're not downwind. Um, or upwind. 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 Make sure you're not upwind. You don't want them catching your scent because you're, you're just screwing yourself. Uh, rain. Snow whatever the weather may be the snow helps because it limits your visibility but we don't really see that with bow hunting that's going to be closer to the rut and when it's rifle season the rain the big thing i've noticed with rain is that if it's if you don't want to go hunt because it's raining that bad they're probably not out either because they don't you don't see them when there's heavy rain they bed up they wait it out mm-hmm. but if if you're out there if you're going to you know go through the getting wet and muddy and just being a mess and miserable you can find them yeah. and they're going to stay put until that rain lightens up yeah. they're not usually going to be out feeding they're just going to try to get whatever shelter or cover they can and wait it out. Sometimes they don't have any. They just sit there and wait.
1: No. And deer don't have houses. They'll no. still be somewhere, but yeah, there's better days than go out in a downpour.
0: Yeah, sometimes you don't have a choice. Right. You know, like when I go out hunting down on the brakes, I'm there for a week, yeah. so I'm going to go out. Yeah. You but, talked
1: about, well, we talked about directional winds a lot, getting that directional wind in your favor. Thermals are huge. Anywhere there's contour, you know, breaks, high country, whatever. Um, Those deer, they hit that secondary bed. I'll sit back, and it's funny. Like, you can use milkweed. A buddy of mine Pennsylvania is huge on milkweed, and you've seen the hunting public and all them guys use milkweed. That wind in the morning, when it's cool, you'll have your directional, but you also have, when it's cool air, it'll be dropping Mm -hmm. in the breaks, breaky country, hilly country, mountains, whatever. And then as it warms up, you can almost bet on it, and I, I'll i wait to stalk a deer, especially in that river break country, to where you can, if you drop that milkweed and let it flow, you can watch whether it's going out of ways and dropping or when it starts going uphill, because you want to stalk these deer from above, because they're usually bedded sideways, and they're looking downhill. And if that milkweed, you know, you wait till it starts going uphill, the storm will start rising, it's warming up. And that's whenever I'll sit back and wait until that starts happening. And it's funny because you'll sit there, you keep dropping them, you watch it float. And it's still going down. You just wait, you wait, and then you'll feel the temperature start to warm up. Mm-hmm. And then that air starts coming up. And then that's when I'll go start doing my stocks.
0: Yeah.
1: Thermals are big. Because if you go before that and you get above a deer, well, the wind's still going down. And
0: you just. Or, but then it means. You know, and then the opposite if you're. Coming in, in from the bottom. Well, coming in from the yep. bottom, if yep. they're if they're up, it's going to be opposite. And then yep. in the evenings, it reverses. Yep.
1: Yeah, in the evening, you got like a time crunch. You know, the wind's coming up, and you're above a deer. You better get there and get it done before it starts cooling down. That wind turns on you and drops, and it's going to blow, whether that's deer
0: or elk. I've lost a lot of opportunities because of that. The wind shifts at the mm. last minute. I mean, you get to you get within their red zone. You get in within a hundred yards, and you're like, yes, everything's going perfect. I just He's gonna put his head down. I'm gonna take a couple more steps. Before you know, mm-hmm. I'll be in sixty. You hit eighty-five yards, and it's like now nah, I think the wind's gonna change, and <laughs> you feel yeah. that little tickle behind your neck. Oh. You're like, all right. And within a minute, they're gone. Yeah. And that is that's heartbreaking, especially if you've put in a three or four hour stock. Yeah. For just the wind <laughs> to change at the last minute, you think, what could I have done differently to get there quicker? Probably nothing. No. Because you would have blown the stock yep. sooner. They would have that's heard you just that's hunting, that's bow hunting yeah you you have you can't control mother nature. Mm-mm. If it happens, it's just well, you know what? at least you got a hundred yards. right. That first episode, I think, is the one I talk about. how do you measure success? It's like, well, I can't do anything about the wind
1: no
0: i got I was on my well on my way to shoot at or draw back on an animal. But the wind changed. Yep. It's happened. I, I can't even tell you how many stocks I've blown because of the wind. So that, that's something that you, you can't control. It's going to happen. Expect that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those thermals for sure. Make sure you study thermals and know where you need to be. Make sure you look at the forecast. There's an app that I have called Windy. Uh, it will show you the trajectory of wind current. Now, obviously, it's, it's an app that's a radar. It covers the whole U.S. They're not going to be able to accurately determine what it's going to look like in that specific drainage. But you have an idea of how fast the wind will be that day and what general direction it's going to go. So if I look at that the night before, I'm going to go hunt maybe a block management. I know which side I want to come in from right away because I, I'm looking at the wind throughout the day in the wind forecast. So that's a good app. It's called windy. Check that one out. Uh, it helps me out a lot. I told Nick, Nick to use that last year and he, uh, he hated me for it because he said it never worked for him. <coughs> it's worked for me almost every time yeah. it can't, you know, when he hunts in the, in the Hills like that, in mm-hmm. those mountainy areas, those are a little more unpredictable, but in the prairies for the most part, if it's a Northeast wind, it's going to stay Northeast pretty much throughout the day. Mm-hmm you know so yeah uh, what else wind cover finding them food sources water sources we've already talked about that in prior podcasts but I'll mention again I like to find harvested fields that had wheat lentils or peas Butted up against BLM state or block management most of the time block management has a, an agricultural field in it But those deer will come out of those drainages, feed in the mornings, and the evenings, in those ag fields, and then go back down to find shade and cover. So your food source. Hopefully, you're doing your research and you're studying those satellite images. Um, If you're local, then you have the opportunity. These dogs. They've ruined the last podcast, (laughs) and they're going to ruin this one. We're back in my garage I know I promised you a better, a better recording <laughs> location, but this is all we can do right now because my kids are inside and they're going crazy. So let me pause it real quick and see if she brings the dogs back in. All right, we're back. The uh, neighbors decided to bring her barking dogs back in, but <laughs> just bear with us. I know that the recording might be a little bit off because we're still on my iPhone. Uh, we're still in the garage so it's it's a little bit off but again you know uh i know just slightly off topic real quick but you guys are doing really good reaching out and offering some feedback which uh, please absolutely reach out to me on instagram is probably the best way the highlight um highlight hunter so just reach out tell me what you like uh tell me what you don't like i am totally open to constructive criticism and you're not going to hurt my feelings because I'm just doing this because this is my passion and I I love talking about hunting. Um, and then also let us know what you want us to talk about or maybe if there's something that might be missing from the podcast that you want to hear about, let me know. So we can only improve from here and you guys getting in contact with us is going to help us do that. So that being said, um, Covered Food Sources... Finding these animals. Uh, once you find them, memorizing exactly where they're at. I know that you, you like to use cameras.
1: Yeah, I didn't come up with this, um, but I've used it several times since. Uh, once they're bedded, before you start your stock, because sometimes you're going to be out of sight for a mile.
0: Yeah.
1: Making a loop on these things, and the terrain changes by the time you get there. Is taking a it picture looks what? totally
0: different yep. from when you first saw it.
1: You take a picture through your spotting scope. We both carry cameras. Do it on your camera, whatever. That way, when you get there, you know, okay, this big rock at the top of the hill is where I need to get to. Or this lone tree or this goofy-looking tree is where I need to, like... Okay, now I'm going to be 100 yards, and this is where I need to slow down, take my boots off, and go down. Because otherwise, you can overshoot them. You can walk right into them, think, all right, I got one more little ridge to go, and you blow the deer out. It's helped me a lot, and it helped me on an elk, too, that I shot one year. It was... I shot it. It's running across this face. It's about to go through a gap in the timber... And I got my camera out quick. I took a picture right where it went, so I was able to walk right to that spot and find blood. It just it helps yeah. because you know you cover terrain. You're looking at your feet. You're doing whatever. You get there, then you know what you're looking for when you get there because everything looks different from point A to point B, especially I've, when you take yeah, your eyes off of it.
0: I've had that problem numerous times where you you count three ridges and then you mm-hmm. go three ridges and there's three more. Mm. I'm like no, there were, I only saw three. The yeah. terrain changes so much out here with those rolling hills. you can get you can get lost pretty quick. Uh, take two pictures. take one picture from standard field of view. so not zoomed in on anything. Mm. and you'll be you'll know from where you're looking where that animal should be in that picture. then take a second picture more zoomed in. That second picture that you take, uh don't go you know, you don't want the entire image to be of the deer. Just zoom in a little bit more so you can kind of get some more recognizable terrain features. Um again, going back to Onyx maps, I, I like to if you have if you're within your rangefinder's distance to get a straight shot and say you can hit a thousand yards with your rangefinder or maybe seven, eight hundred yards is what it tends to be for most like terrain bounce backs that aren't reflective so mark how far he is and then get on your onyx maps and do the line the line distance marker out to seven whatever the distance might be if he's 700 yards look at your map go 700 out on your map he should be in that area mark it somewhere it's going to be somewhere close then you can go into the 3d feature and look at the terrain if you have that luxury of the maps being downloaded or having service um that's you know there's some guys older guys different generation that say absolutely you're not don't do that Mm -hmm. that's cheating that's too easy whatever if it helps you find the animal it helps you harvest an animal do it that's what i do it helps me out a lot For the most part, a lot of these areas that I've hunted, I've now hunted numerous times. I know the terrain fairly well. Um, I have that luxury of knowing the area, so I don't have to really do that too often. But there are some spots that can get a little tricky to find out exactly where they are. So the pictures help. Gives you a reference point. You know, close in a couple hundred yards. Look at your picture. Look up the skyline. See where you're at try to close the distance and find them find them again so let's see I mean what else
1: I haven't had the luxury of doing any scouting this year for deer I'm pretty much going to have to go off of where I've been in the past and where I found deer mm-hmm. I've been out of the out of the state for like 10 weeks this summer yeah you've been just gone got for back. a while.
0: I've been here and I haven't had time to do it. And then the days that I've gone out to actually scout, it's been 95 degrees. It's been so hot this year.
1: Yeah. I guess me and and my son did go out the other day. We found some small bucks, but nothing nothing good.
0: I've seen a few, um, but not in huntable areas. hmm. Usually, you know, you see them off the side of the road in the interstate. I'm not going to hunt the interstate. So, (laughs) you know, the places I like to hunt, I haven't really seen any because it's with that temperature being as hot as it is, They pretty much will stay in bed until the last half an hour of daylight. And they're back in it
1: before daylight.
0: Yeah, they don't want to be out in this heat either. So that's going to make it difficult. So going back to getting out there way before shooting light, just it sucks waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning or however early you have to get up. I'm tired, but if it means finding animals, which you absolutely will find them if you're out there early enough, That's what I'm going to do in order to to try to close the gap. So let's see. Weather, wind, terrain features, spot and stalk, taking your boots off, going in quiet, having patience, making sure your equipment works. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure you're getting your practice in. Adam and I like to shoot broadheads this time of year, moving into closer to the season. Yeah, yeah we were shooting
1: balloons the other day. Yeah. After you kill something, if you still have a tag, keep shooting. Yes. I know, I think I've only shot once since I shot my antelope.
0: I haven't shot at all, but it was two
1: days ago. We so, gotta keep going. Yeah,
0: yeah, we have a few more days to get, even throughout the season. Yes. Like, just because the season starts this Saturday, and today is Wednesday, does not mean yeah. you're done shooting. Yeah. No. Because you lose it absolutely if you don't use it you lose it i know i've
1: gotten in the middle of the season you know and you haven't shot for two or maybe three weeks and you come to full draw on something and it feels foreign yeah you know your anchor point doesn't feel right yep that's not a good thing yeah i try to i try now the last couple years to shoot through the season at least a couple arrows
0: i when i'm at elk camp you know i i always bring a target throw it out 30 40 yards just to make sure my stuff is on um, make sure nothing's been bombed. Make sure nothing needs to be tweaked. Whatever mm. it may be. Um, just even getting... If you're there for a week, I don't want to go a week without shooting. Yeah. So just getting an arrow in like in the evening. Yeah. Whatever time. Maybe you go back to camp in the afternoon. I don't know. Something. Carry a judo
1: point or a field tip in your quiver. Yeah. Or a second arrow just for grouse, jackrabbits, whatever. Yeah. I know I blew a stock on an elk one year and shot two jackrabbits on the way back to my truck. <laughs> just something to get reps in on good shots
0: yeah yeah that helps too yeah so yeah uh, that's that's about you know I'm sure we we have so much more information but we can only talk about this for so long mm-hmm. before people it's going, we're going on about an hour and yeah. those longer podcasts people tend to, yep. to drone out towards the end so um, I'm sure we've got a lot more information and helpful tips so reach out to me at Highline Hunter reach out to Adam at I think it's Adam. Kaiser? Adam fourteen Kaiser. Adam fourteen Kaiser on Instagram. Just feel free; he'll be tagged on the Instagram post. Just feel free to reach out to any of us to ask us more specific questions. Like I said, there's just only so much that we can cover in in an hour, and I know we're missing stuff. And I'm gonna say oh, I should have talked about this. Yep. But um, we we do have a lot of experience. I I know I said I only shot two bucks. I've shot a bunch of does with my bow. But I have gotten so close to animals, I've had so many opportunities to take, and I either don't take the shot, or I'm 99% successful, that last percent doesn't exactly work out. So I have a lot of experience. Adam's got a lot of experience. Reach out. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Subscribe. Check out the YouTube channel. That new uh, antelope video I just posted, I think, yesterday or the day before is up. And then check out some older videos those are only going to get better as I continue to make them also. So uh, thanks for listening and yeah, reach out to us. Thanks.